Hey, I really want to get to it because we're going to be back in the book of Philemon in the Live Well series uh, today, and I really want to get to it, just have a couple of things. Man, I'm so grateful for an elder like Matt Nicholson uh, comes up here and shares with you our excitement about Operation Blessing. Yes, you can sign up to help out, but you can also sign up for Friday, which is our setup day in the gym. What we want to do is uh, we want to bless people in such a way that we're not welcoming, welcoming them to a glorified yard sale, but we're really bringing them into a nice boutique shop where they get to be selective in what they uh, would like for their family and for their children. And so that's going to take some work too. And uh, so you can sign up on the website for that. Um, hey, yesterday um, I got served. I got served significantly. Um, first of all, I got to be with my friend Norm, um, an 83-year-old 80 excuse me, golfer who played with me on the uh, golf outing, the church golf outing yesterday. And I want you to know that Norm, after three groups out of four foursomes had gone through, three out of four, Norm held the longest drive on the 18th hole. All right? That was awesome. I mean, he stepped up after a long, hot, tiring day, and he hit one high, long, and straight down the middle. It was incredible. And we're dancing around and cheering, and, and, uh, and he's signing it, and he said, well, there's one more group to go through. And sure enough, that mean Family Ministries pastor Cameron Smith steps up two minutes later and hits one over our heads. All right, so, and that was just that, that was just cruel. And you can tell him that and tell him I said so. All right, um, but I got served yesterday. I got served yesterday. Um, I uh, had to cut down a tree that was dead in my yard, and uh, so um, I went to resources that were better than me. And and Pastor Tom is a good. Uh, tree cutter and he says I'll cut down your tree for wood and that's a great exchange right because I don't know how to cut down trees and I also don't have a fireplace so um, he can he can have my wood right so we cut down the tree just majestically perfectly it fell in exactly the right place we did not hit a neighbor's car or neighbor nothing we didn't hit anything it just fell across the street into the neighbor's yard who was helping us uh, to bring that down and so what I was responsible for was anything uh, three inches or, or smaller in diameter, I, was, I went to go burn in my fire pit. Well, I took all of this debris, all these sticks, and I set it all on fire, and I went back there, and I had an entire garbage bin full of sticks, and I went over there, and man, that fire was raging. It was really high, and I was grabbing sticks to throw them into the bin, just, just like this, and suddenly the wind changed, and the entire set of flames just came and just, just engulfed me just for like six-tenths of a second. And uh, so last night I'm sitting in the Lazy Boy just relaxing because, man, my back hurt and I was tired from a long day. And my wife came over just to give me a little soft kiss on the forehead or something like that. And she went, what is wrong with you? And then she started grabbing my hair and looking at my eyebrows and my eyelashes. She goes, you're singed. <laughs> and literally I burned off some of my hair and my eyebrow and my eyelash and even the hair on my right arm. You can even see a burn mark on my right arm. Uh, there. Um, this is one of those mornings where we're going to come very close to the fire. We're going to come very close to the fire of God's holiness. We're going to deal with forgiveness. And I'm begging you, I'm begging you, church, have a soft heart this morning. Come to the scripture this morning with a soft, soft heart because there is someone out there we know we hold a grudge against, and maybe we're the one that they're holding the grudge against. At the heart of the gospel is this incredible forgiveness that comes to us through Jesus. The Holy Spirit has written in the book of Philemon 
a letter on forgiveness. Forgiveness is so essential to the gospel that an entire letter in the New Testament is dedicated to it. But here's the amazing thing is, forgiveness is spelled out clearly through the letter of Philemon even while the word forgive is never utilized in the letter. Partnership in the gospel is there. Refresh our hearts is there. Child of God is there. All of those things are there, but the word forgiveness is not there. Last week when we started in the book of Philemon in verses 1 through 7, we saw the gospel up close and personal. And we reminded ourselves that for life change to occur, many times people need to see the gospel up close and personal. The received gospel changes every life. The received gospel changes every life. It builds a character of love and faith that makes you and me capable of living it up close in our relationships. Are you living up close gospel relationships right now? Who is God calling you to seek out? And I asked you last week, I said, put that name down. Go ahead. Put it in your outline. Pray about that person. How are you going to reach out? How are you going to stretch yourself with the gospel and reach out to someone to bridge our relationship with them? Next week, we're going to be back in Philemon for our, our last in the series on Philemon in verses 17 through 20, 22 where we're going to see everyone pays a price for the sake of the gospel. You want to be a gospeler? There are prices that you and I are going to have to pay. There's, there's, there's just make-up make dues in that. There's a price that we will have to pay for the gospel. And there is some gospel that God wants to see happen every day in our lives. Are we willing to pay forward the gospel of Jesus Christ? We'll look at that next week. So just to remind ourselves, we're going to start in verse 6 as Paul is calling out the character of Philemon. The story goes like this. Philemon had a slave. We, we talked about it last week. Not a slave like 17th or 18th or 19th century in the United States, but a slave like in the Roman Empire. A person that probably had privileges, had freedom of mobility, maybe even uh, had ownership of certain things, but still couldn't pay for some kind of debt. Maybe it was the land that he purchased, maybe it was something else, um, an ox or something like that. So he actually asks someone else to pay the price for him, and he becomes a slave to that person until the price is paid, or usually in the Roman Empire, until he reaches the age of 30, because then he really needs to go on and be about his family's business and bu building his family. And so usually at the age of 30, a slave was released. But Onesimus, he, in contract to Philemon, breached that contract severely. He ran and he stole from Onesimus. And he ran from Colossae, which was about 100 miles inland from es Ephesus to the east. He ran back to that west coast, either to see Paul in the Ephesian prison that Paul may have spent time in, or in, in Rome even further. We know that it was a long distance that Onesimus ran, and somehow he comes in contact with people who know Paul, and those people introduce him to Paul, and Paul introduces Onesimus to Jesus. And so Onesimus then come, becomes a child of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He becomes a child of the Heavenly Father, the same child that Paul is to the Heavenly Father, the same child that Philemon is to his Heavenly Father. And so Paul is now going to send back a letter, maybe through Epaphras and, and through Onesimus. Maybe both of the, them are returning with the letter to Colossae, as well as the personal letter to Philemon and to Aphia, his wife. And that letter is going to say, take Onesimus back, not as a demand, but as an, an appeal. Receive him back as not just a slave, but more than a slave, a brother, an equal 
in the gospel as a partner in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's going to say here in verses 6 and 7, as we just kind of refresh ourselves, he's going to say, look, hey, the gospel's in you, the gospel's working in you, you're a gospeler, and I'm about to call you to gospel again. All right, you get that? He says, I pray that the sharing of your faith, and the word there for sharing is the word koinonia, excuse me, the base word there uh, is koinonia. And it means the partnership. It means being on the roster together. We're partners in the gospel, he's saying to Philemon. He says, I pray that it, it might become more effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. All right? And for the sake of right there, that's, that's, that's just our dynamic translation, even the ESV, to help us understand there. It's poor or through for Christ. Every good thing that is for Christ. And then verse 7 he says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now, you're going to see that phrase. You're going to see that phrase again later on. And Paul's going to say, as we study next week, he's going to say, Hey, Philemon, would you refresh my heart? The hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. You've been gospeling Tom and Vicky over here who live three doors down. And, and they ran out of, uh, out of money at the end of the month. And, and you've gospeled them by providing blankets and some cheese blintzes and some nice bread for them to make it through the rest of the month. And, and you've gospeled uh, Will and Shirley over here who, who were just really passing through but spent a month in town in Colossae as they were getting them, themselves ready uh, for uh, finishing out the dry season so they could go back and farm again. And, and you took them in and, and you gave them a place to stay for an entire month. You've been gospeling. Philemon, and I'm going to ask you, I'm going to appeal to you to gospel again. And so we're going to look, first of all, at the grounds of, for the appeal. You know, somebody says, well, what are your grounds for the appeal? It means, what are your justifications? If you're going to appeal in a court of law, then you have grounds for that appeal. Otherwise, it gets thrown out of court. The appellate court, the appeals court, says, this is ridiculous. Paul has grounds for the appeal. He says in verse 8, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you, he's saying that the gospel has mandates. The gospel has commands. The gospel says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The gospel definitely commands. He says, I could command you to do what is required, but verse 9, yet for love's sake, and really that for love's sake there, it translates in the Greek through love. So he says, I could ask you to do what is required, but yet through love, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. And the word there, prisoner, is going to be another repeated word. And whenever in a short letter like this you see repeated words, you know that Paul is bringing serious metaphorical emphasis down on Philemon. Because he's going to say, hey, Phi, you and I, we're both prisoners of the gospel. And where their prisoner can actually be interpreted ambassador, because back in those days, ambassadors weren't like what you see today, where they go and sit in these big buildings and in the capital city of some other country, and, and they're there as diplomats, and they're there as ambassadors. No, back then, ambassadors were sent into hostile territories to represent a king in that hostile territory. And Paul, oh, Paul's been such an ambassador that he's in chains for what he's done. All right, so the first grounds for the appeal is through love. Through love. He's saying it's through love that I appeal 
to you. You know, I think we have all experienced someone in life who has demanded that we do what we should do, should do, right? We've always, all have had that person that says, I know exactly what, you, what you're going to do. This is what you're going to do. You're going to do this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, you are going to do this. We've had plenty of people who have demanded of us what we should do. I can name several. State troopers. You with me? Cashiers. Anybody able to go right up to the front and say, no, I'm not paying that price. No. Cashiers. Mother nature. Basically from November through March. Demands that I shovel my driveway. Back pain. Shoulder pain. My sixth grade physical science teacher. My mother, my father, both of my sisters, my football coaches, the IRS. Come on, you've had people demand behavior out of you. And most of what was demanded probably should have happened. You should have paid your taxes. You should have paid the ticket. You should have slowed down. You should have done what the coaches said. But it really didn't grow a whole lot of character and you did it. Because you just had to do it. It was demanded of you. It didn't call for anything on your insides. It didn't call for anything in the life that, of really who you are and the character of your person. You could have been John Doe, and it still would have been demanded of you. But the grounds for the appeal is through love. Through love. Do it because you want to do it, because you love the gospel, and you're going to be a gospeler. Through love. When I was growing up on uh, 431 Robmont Road in Charlotte, North Carolina, our neighbors to the right of us were the Carters, and they had a son named Brian, Brian Carter. And oh, was this guy annoying, okay? He was about four years younger than me, so when I was 10, he was six. When I was 11, he was seven, stuff like that. And literally, from the time that we began to know him, when he was five years old, and I was nine, and I'd play football and soccer in my yard with my friends and stuff like that. Sometimes the football would bounce over onto their driveway. The soccer ball would bounce over their driveway. Driveway. He would come out in the front yard, and he goes, he would say, get off my property. This is my property. This is our property. Get off my, I'm going to sue you if you come on my property again. I'm going to sue you, right? And so after, you know, a hundred times of get off my property, we would, we, would, we would go over there to the edge of the driveway and hang over like this and go, hey, Brian. Is this, is this on your property right here? Because I'm not touching your property. And he would come around, Mom, Mom, they're on the property. Oh, Brian, tap, 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 tap. You know, we would tap on, we'd run across the driveway and run back really fast and, and run all the way back to the garage. And he would scream, Mom, I'm going to sue you. I'm gonna, stay off my property. Boy, we become property holders. And we hold someone in their offense, don't we? And here's the amazing thing. The most severe, uncrossable line of property that ever existed was the line of God's holiness. And he made a way for us to cross it. Think about that. Romans 2.12 says this, For all who have sinned without the law, they will also perish without the law. All who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Jew or Gentile, either one of you, <laughs> get off my property. 
You cannot, through the law, make it to God's holiness. And yet, the scripture tells us in Ephesians 1, 4 through 7, In love, God, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Did you remember the first two words there? In love. Love. In love, he predestined us. A boundary line that said, get off my property. An uncrossable line. Nothing that we and ourselves ever could do to go and possess something that we would treasure. And Jesus made a way for us to cross that line. How bizarre, how bizarre that Paul is going to be dealing with the topic of slavery. And the scripture tells us we're all slaves to sin. We're bound to to sin. And Paul knew the great enslavement of sin. He knew how to bind people up as a Pharisee. He knew how to bind people up as a persecutor of Christians. But he says it's through love that I'm going to make this appeal. But then also he's going to say it's through partnership. He referred back to it in verses 6 and 7. But now in calling himself a prisoner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, referring back to that base word of koinonia. I'm a prisoner. I'm an ambassador. And you are too. Through love and through partnership with the gospel, those are going to be the grounds for making the appeal. But what is the grounding of the appeal? We can see that in verses 10 through 13. Look down at these verses, beginning in verse 10. I appeal to you for my child, a word repeated often in the letter, for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. We saw the grounds of the appeal. It was through love and through partnership in the gospel. But the grounding of the, the appeal is now we're all grounded here together because Onesimus, he's now my child. He, the gospel got to Onesimus. He gets the gospel. He gets the gospel. He gets the gospel as well as you get the gospel, Philemon. And since you get the gospel and he gets the gospel, things have got to change. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. And so it's from one child of God to another. One child of God to another. What a beating or an imprisonment could accomplish, which, which would mean sending him back as a slave forced to continue to obey his master. A beating or an imprisonment could have accomplished that. But the gospel accomplished so much more. Changing forever the relationship of Onesimus with God. From locked out of God's holiness to becoming a child of the king. And now Onesimus, Paul is going to say, is ready to gladly go back to his master and serve as a co-partner in the gospel. Force could not accomplish what the power of the gospel has accomplished. Paul emphasizes in verse 10 that Onesimus is his child. He is his gospel-sharing, born child of God. Surely Philemon could relate, as he too was an undeserving sinful man, locked out from God because of the law we just showed, showed ourselves. And the law said to Philemon one time before Paul was able to lead him to Christ, the law said the same thing, get off my property. But because 
of God's rich mercy and love, Philemon too became a child, a son of God. Sons of God, children of God. Do you know where they usually come from? Sons of God, children of God. Have you ever, ever really thought about what happens if the gospel stops with me? What happens if the gospel stops with me? No more kids. No more children. Paul says, I'm his father. He's my child because of the gospel. Paul's saying, you can't act in a vacuum when you're a partner with the gospel. You can't act unforgiving in the body of Christ. It's just not going to affect the unforgiven person, but it's going to affect all of the other gospelers out there. All the other children are going to be watching. I've got an illustration that's going to connect with that here in a second. All of the other children are going to be affected, and it affects your relationship with God. We stated last week that Christ emphasizes in the book of Matthew chapter 6 verses 14 and 15, hey look, as you forgive others, so will my Father forgive you. Your fellowship with God relates to how you relate to forgiveness as a child. And I want to be a child helping to make children. God wants each of us to come to human conflict and hard dilemmas like this one here as children of God. That's the first thing is he is calling out the child of God status of Philemon by saying, hey, Onesimus is my child. And Philemon's going to go, wait, I'm your child. You led me to Jesus. I'm your child and he's your child. That makes us co-children, co-partners. So God wants us to come to human conflict as dearly loved children of God, dearly loved and much forgiven. John 1, 12 and 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. We're God-born, y'all. We're God-born. We're God-born children. We're God-created children. We are not called to look at life through our horizontal lenses and to create our own boundaries for whatever property it is that we think that we own. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 to 16 tells us how we're supposed to look at the world. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And he died for all that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was, was raised. Incredible. Incredible the love of Christ that compels us. So Paul is speaking from one child of God to another. Second of all, the grounding is in the usefulness of the one who has become God's child. Anyone who has gotten the gospel can now display the gospel, can now testify to the gospel, can now be a greater story than their own story. We've got to remind ourselves that our little stories attach always to the great story of God, the meta-narrative of all of history that God loves his children and he wants them for himself. 
And so Paul is going to say, formerly, verse 11, he was useless to you. And what a great play on words there, because the word Onesimus, the name Onesimus, you know what it means? It means useful. Onesimus means useful. And Onesimus, even though he was, he was supposed to be useful, we were created for the glory of God. We all fell from that great glory, and we became useless to the glory of God until Jesus came and changed us. He said, he said, he formerly was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Paul's saying, I'm going to connect him to the greater story, Philemon. And so I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. And the word there is splancha. It means my very grippings, the seat of my emotions. He's saying, I'm deeply emotionally invested in this man because now he's a child of the king. I'm deeply invested in him, and I'm sending him back to you as my own heart. Surely as your spiritual father, Philemon, when we wept together and we rejoiced together and we danced together and we ate and we drank together celebrating the fact that Jesus had saved you, I'm sent, that heart that I shared with you then, that's the heart that I'm sending back to you right now. What good is it? To remain in conflict or to bind someone up in, ju in, in judgment when there's the opportunity for the gospel to step in and make that person a child of God. I reminded us in the first week that we were together is that the gospel many times wants to be personal and very up close. Most people do not come to an understanding of God's love and therefore repent of their sin and be completely transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, allowing by their belief that Jesus is their personal Savior to come into their lives. They don't do that by just reading a book, or even many times just by reading the Bible. Many, many have. But usually there's this personal, up-close connection to that person. And God's asking us here this morning is, what opportunity do you have that right now you see as a hard conflict or as a dilemma in your life? What chance do you have for the gospel? Because here's what the gospel did here in the grounding for the appeal. It gave a child of God relationship to all three, a usefulness relationship of Onesimus to both Paul and to Philemon, and a new relationship under one master. There's a new relationship. We have one master. He says, I would have been glad to keep him with me, in order that he might serve me on your behalf. Actually, the way it's written there in the Greek, it means in your stead or in your place. That he might serve me in your stead during my imprisonment for the gospel. Yet, have you ever had anybody stand in your place? I have Jesus. He took my place. Really, when I needed him to take my place, when nobody else could have taken my place, when it wasn't my place to take my place, only Jesus could take my place, and he did in serving me by taking my sin upon himself on the cross and dying for me. And so there's this new relationship. All three of them now, Paul, Onesimus, and Philemon, Paul saying, we got one master, the Lord of the gospel. And so finally, let's look at the gains of the appealing gospel. We looked at the grounds, we looked at the grounding. Now let's look at the gains here are some gains that, that can come, Philemon, of the appealing gospel. He says, verse 14, but I preferred to do nothing 
without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. He is not demanding, but he is appealing, and there's gains that come from the appeal. The first gain is that, is that Philemon would say, I want this, I want to do this, I'm convinced to do this. I'm not doing this because someone else is telling me to do this. I'm not doing this because it'll make me look bad in my church since I host my church in my house. I'm doing this because God wants it. He says, I want it to be not by compulsion, but of your own accord. In verse 15, he says, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while. What? Paul is going to dare suggest that somehow God in his providential plan allowed a man to enslave himself to a, to a, a church, a house church leader like Philemon and then steal and run away from him so that he might come to see Paul and understand the gospel and come back a changed child of God so that he might serve Philemon? What? He says, he may have been parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Paul saying, the big story is so, so much greater than your little story doesn't mean that we just let everybody get, a, get away with everything. No, the gospel changed the heart of Philemon. Surely Philemon came back with a repentant heart and a heart to restore what was lost. But his little story connected to the great story, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Most biblical writers, when they do their scholarship and they do their commentary on the letter to Philemon, they presume upon Philemon that he will release Onesimus from his enslavement. And while that is uh, fairly suggested there, especially in verse 16, it is not a guarantee. It is still, it is still up to Philemon. Philemon can take him back and Onesimus can say, look, I want to fill out my obligation to you and pay the other obligation, and that would be the gospel. Or uh, Philemon can release him completely and say, hey, look, I'm just glad you're a partner with the gospel. Those things I will just count as loss for the greater glory of knowing Christ and knowing the gospel, like Paul says in Philippians 3. I'll just count it as loss, Onesimus. Either way. The exact statement of Paul is that Philemon, through the lens of the gospel, must see Onesimus as a beloved brother. More than a bondservant. Maybe a bondservant still, but more. The same way that he would see his own brother, Paul. That's how his heart would be refreshed. And so, in the gains of the appealing gospel, we willingly submit to God's greater plans. That's the gain there. We willingly submit to God's greater plans for our lives. Our little story is always connected to that great story of God. My little life is an opportunity for the gospel to break out into a bigger plan for lives. My life is not, get off my property. But instead it's, God, I'm your property. Expand your gospel through me. Oh God, bring people onto your property. Paul could have said, I'll be the change agent. In my authority, I'll be the change agent. I'll say, I demand of you, Philemon, because we are brothers and because of, of how you really are enslaved to me because of what I did for you, 
Paul could have done that. He could have ordered, but instead, instead of Paul being the hero of the story, Jesus gets to be the hero of the story. It will be because of Christ that Philemon forgives. It will be because of Christ that he receives Onesimus and reception. Just, just receiving someone back, that's the first step to forgiveness, isn't it? Just saying, okay, I'm going to come back into that person's presence. I'm going to let them back on my property. Reception is the first step. And Paul says, receive him as more than a bondservant, but as a beloved brother. How impactful is it when people get treatment better than they deserve? How impactful is that? John MacArthur says this. He says, no one could ever offend us the way we've offended God. Amen? No one could ever offend me the way I've offended God. But I say this back. No one could as tenderly forgive us as God has forgiven us. Didn't God do it well? Didn't he do it well? He was really good at it. Wasn't he? In the way he reached you and me, he tenderly forgave us. And even when I struggled with my own shame and guilt, he kept on saying, I've died for that. I promise my forgiveness. He said, 1 John 1, 9, whoever says he's without sin is a liar, but anyone who confesses his sin, I'm just enabled to forgive him of his sin and cleanse him of any unrighteousness. In a letter all about forgiveness, we don't even find the word because the whole gospel is the gateway to all human treatment. The gospel's about forgiving. The gospel's about exalting. The gospel's about serving. The gospel's about helping people in their poverty. The gospel is about loving your spouse, loving your children. The gospel... The gospel is the gateway to all human treatment. If I get the gospel, then the gospel is going to get to work through me. If I really get the gospel. And here's another game. Here's another game. And Hal Darren, but he, but he said it. He said it. We witness God's sovereign working. Paul suggests in verses, verse 15, he says, it could be that, that he was away so that he might come back to you this way. That this is how God wanted him to be saved. Paul will assert that this breach of contract, this offense of a slave running away and embarrassing his owner, thieving his owner's belongings could actually be a work of God. That verse reminds us for perhaps it's why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. And the way the Greek is written there, it's a, it's a passive, uh, continual uh, tense there saying, hey, this happened and there's more to the story. And there was more to the story. They're going to get to witness God's sovereign working. When I was 13 years old, my family had been attending a Bible-preaching, gospel-centered church for over a year um, after... My father agreed to go uh, to this church. Um, uh, we went back every single Sunday after we'd been in this other church uh, my whole life. And, and uh, so uh, the gospel had gotten to my father. My father had gone forward and had received Christ as his Savior. And, and my, my, my father filled up legal pads and notebooks with sermon notes and things like that um, as he would sit on the front row of the balcony uh, with us and receive the Word of God really well. And uh, so I witnessed this for about uh, eight or nine months. I had been witnessing this with my father. And so we're driving to church one day, and um, my parents, my, my, my sister, had not gotten her driver's license yet. She only had a driver's permit. And um, 
God bless her, but she's just one of those people that was never intended to drive, at least, you know, from the ages of 16 to, say, 50. And anyway, <clears throat> um, so sh she gets behind the seat of my father's Cadillac Seville and is going to drive us. So we, he, she nearly backs it right into the Audi parked behind uh, uh, my father's car. We, we skirt that. I mean, my sister and I prayed so much on those days that my older sister was driving us to church that sometimes we just felt like we should skip church and just go straight to IHOP, right? You know, just, you know, really enjoy that. But so I'm praying in the back seat. We make it into the parking lot of the church. But one side of the parking lot was not flat. It was actually a little bit sloped, and it went, continued down a hill to this, this last building that was a part um, of the church campus. And uh, we got there, you know, uh, uh, not late, but on time, and so there weren't a whole lot of spots that were there, and so my sister is driving through one lane of cars and stuff like it, and there's this car that was on a slope, and it's rolling backwards at us. And so my sister instinctively hits the horn uh, to say, hey, you're rolling back into us, and my father said, there's no one in the car, there's no one in the car, the car can't hear you, right? Move, move, move. Well, she, she froze, and this car rolls right into the driver's side door, creating a ripple of dents through the two doors on the driver's side. And so here we are all dressed up and ready for church. I've got my bow tie on and, and uh, we're ready for church. And um, dad says, you guys go on in to worship. I'll just stand here until the owner of this car comes because I don't want anything to be moved or anything like that. So, uh, so we do, we go in there. And of course I didn't, I couldn't really focus very much because I was wondering what was happening. And so when we, uh, church concluded, we hustled back out there um, into the parking lot, and um, dad was still standing there, and no one had come. About a minute later, this lady walks up, and she goes, oh, how did this happen, right? And in the course of trying to explain it to her, uh, actually, she did not believe that her car had rolled back, that the brake was not on, and he tried to show her through her window, hey, look, your brake wasn't on, and all this, and, and uh, he tried to show her um, that uh, it had uh, happened that way. But through the course of just the first five minutes of dialogue, she went to a far different place and said, no, you broke into the car, you released the brake, and you created this accident just because you wanted to get reimbursed, and you know, you're a con artist and all these things. And um, so my father's an attorney, all right? My father's very familiar with lawsuits and commanding and demanding, and he's, you know, my father could have written a two-page letter and mailed it to this lady and basically shown to her that it was absolutely impossible for her to keep the claim that she had and uh, that she was going to pay for the loss. And I will tell you, as a 13-year-old standing there, I was just going like, Dad, just sue her, sue her. She went right on your property, sue her, sue her. Just, just big lawsuit, giant two-inch two, two thick lawsuit. So my father said, could I have your number, your phone number, and could I call you at a later time? I can tell that you're very frustrated, you're, 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 you're just out of sorts. Could I, could I call you later? Well, he called her the next day. He found out that she was a single mother. And I, of course, not being observant, realizing that it was kind of an old, beat-up, subcompact car, not worth much. And realized it was a single mom with two girls and she was living paycheck to paycheck and the thought of having to pay for a mistake like that who knows what was on her mind 
when she came to church that morning, she probably came to church going, God, I really need you. I really need you. And so uh, I didn't directly ask my father, but I heard my mother and father talking in the kitchen, and, and my dad said, look, I'm just going to pay for both cars. I'm going to pay for our repairs. I'm going to pay for her repairs. And my father just let it go. And I can remember in my 13-year-old body just going, is that really how we're supposed to behave? Is, is that how we're supposed to conduct ourselves? That just doesn't make sense. It, it, it certainly does not make sense in middle school. I can tell you that. Let me connect the dots. I don't know all the reasons why I today know Jesus Christ as my Savior. But I can tell you that that's one of them. God wants the gospel up close personal oh we we can be gospelers you can see God's sovereign working even in hardship and conflict and human dilemma where is it even in our church where is it in our relationships in our neighborhood with our families no man can see the secret providence of God looking forward into the future like binoculars but God can he's so good at gospeling he takes all kinds of screwed up, messed up, get off my property stuff, and he brings you on his property. When we look back at difficult conflicts and hardships, we can see where God was working, and that's why we've got to trust him now. And that's why you've got to ask the question, Christian, this morning. You've got to ask this question, where does God want me to gospel where I don't want to? Where does God want me to forgive? Where I, what loss does God want me to give up so that the gospel might win. Are you trusting God to lead you through difficulty here this morning? Would you be able to say one day, hey, that rough stuff back there, God was all over it, and now we're giving God greater glory because of it. Because the third gain is this, we become so much more to each other when we gospel. We become so much more to each other. Look at what Paul's saying, he's saying, he's a brother now. He's our brother. We together, we're brothers. What a gain. So let's bring it to our neighborhood. Human conflict is a great place for the gospel. It's a great place. We have a prodigal God that is after people, and he goes to great lengths to get us back onto his property. Adam and Eve were once banished from the Garden of Eden, and yet Jesus brings us back into the fold of God. The law says, stay off my property, but the grace of God through Jesus says, you're welcome here again. And human conflict is a great place for the gospel. The questions at this point in the letter is what length will Philemon go to that the gospel gets the win? And there are so many wins out there. There's so many wins out there waiting to be had. Which win do you want? Human conflict is a great place for the gospel. Second of all, the gospel is something God wants to see happen in us each day. All around us, there is enslavement that God is wanting to set free. There is bondage that only the gospel can break. 
The good news of the gospel appeals to all kinds of people, especially where people need it the most. A thief needs to know how he can be redeemed. A philanderer needs to know how he can start anew. A six-year-old child needs to know that that lie he told his father about the paint in the garage is not going to permanently affix him into a third-class, guilt-driven, shame relationship. Where each day of your life is it about the gospel and not about you? The gospel is something God wants to see happening in us each day. Come back next Sunday and we'll see how the gospel is going to happen at the last part of Philemon. And finally this, what impact can I have when I connect my little story to God's great story? So I get to help out with Barnabas Ministries every once in a while. And uh, it looks like my special appointment is to go and visit the juvenile detention facility and to visit people there. And I'm not going to tell you his real name. We'll just call him Mark. I went Friday again to see Mark. I started a relationship with him two weeks ago. And I'm going to go see him again uh, next Thursday. And you can be praying for Mark because Mark does not yet know Jesus. And so we go through things. I go through things with Mark. And he talks about, well, the mistakes that he made and, and the choices that he made and stuff like that. And then I tell him, I say, you know what's so funny, Mark, um, that uh, before my 18th birthday, I made a lot of similar choices, different ways, but similar choices, and I probably would have been dead or in prison by the age of 21 if God hadn't rescued me out of that. And that gives me a bridge to talk with him some more. And then I finally, I asked him two weeks ago, I said, would you like for me to bring a Bible? Would you like to talk about the gospel? And he said, yeah, I'd like to do that. So I brought a Bible with me this week, and uh, my wife found a Bible that I could give to him, and and um, I gave it to him. I said, hey, could you open that up to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20? And man, he's searching, searching. I said, okay, so it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and Galatians. All right, you see how it goes? He got there to Galatians. And um, he read that first phrase, I am crucified in Christ, and I no longer live. I said, I said Mark, can you imagine that? Can you imagine just your whole life? just dying away everything that you've ever done everything that you've ever said everything that you've ever been held accountable for even the reasons why you're here today can you imagine all of it just dying all at once just being dead i said then read the next phrase and then it says but christ lives in me so could you imagine an entirely new life a complete whole new life that you could have that Jesus literally said, I'll trade my life for yours. I'll take your prison sentence so that you can live. You could tell the wheels were churning in his head. And I said, man, that's what I want to come back and talk about the next time we're together. I said, can we do that? And he goes, oh, yeah. He loves guests. He loves visitors just to break up the monotony of what's going on. So I'm going to sit down with him, and, and hopefully my latest one-heart-at-a-time guy, I'm going to get to share the gospel. But the only reason why I am going to be a gospel sharer is because another gospel sharer shared with me and showed me the way to forgive, the way to take something terrible and broken that just looks like it's just not ever going to be fixed and, and to just say, I'm going to apply the gospel there. And it changed just the way that my father did with that single mom. 
I'm going to do that with Mark. And I hope, I hope, I pray that he responds to the gospel. Where does God want you to go gospeling this week? I know he does because he wants that gospel in you to come out every day of your life. You could start in the car on the way home today. You could, you could. You could take one of these cards that says, I would like, we'd like to bless you. We, now, since we're down to the last week and we have a few registrations for Operation Blessing, if we have people in our congregation that can reach someone through, like Barnabas or through uh, some other uh, outreach ministry, um, we've given these, those cards to those folks too. But uh, if you know someone who is in need, you can give them this card and say, hey, look, we just, we just want to bless you. Backpacks filled with all of the school supplies, shoes, winter clothing, all of that. You can do that this week. How's the gospel want to come out of you this week? Where's something that's hard, that's difficult, that looks like, get off my property. But God can get you there. Let's pray. Father, now we're just going to, with soft hearts, God, make them softer. With soft hearts, God, by your Holy Spirit, just bring balm to us and softness again. Water us with that reminder, Heavenly Father, that we've been gospeled, that we are children of God, that we all have one master here in this room. We're all in equal standing under the cross of Jesus Christ, standing firm on the rock of our salvation. But Father, by your spirit now, just, just give us that appeal. You could demand it. You could tell us we ought to, we should, and we know we should. But in love, through love, Father, appeal through your Holy Spirit to us now and help us to respond to that appeal, wherever that is, whoever that is, in our lives. God, we pray that the gospel would win this week in us so that it would win this week in others. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being first with me today. And that means sharing Christ and experiencing Christ one another. Got plenty of time to uh, spend some time in good relationships, fellowship with, with each other. If you want to process through this sermon a little bit more in the gospel shaping class in the gym, the new community class this summer, we've been doing gospel shaping, and it's on the gospel and forgiveness. And we're going to actually talk through and kind of walk through some of the tough uh, scriptures about forgiveness there. If you just want to process this more and you're not in the pattern of uh, going to uh, a regular adult class, don't, don't skip your adult life class. I'll just give you the handout. You can just come and get the handout and, and do it personally. But if, if you don't have a place to go this morning, you'd like to go there, we'll be down there and we'll be processing this out and working this out in our own lives, taking it and applying it. And I invite you to be there uh, for that. Um, and please be praying for Operation Blessing. Remember, the kiosk is out there if you want to sign up right now uh, for that. And uh, yeah, yeah. So God, God who so greatly forgives us, who loves us so much that it was in love that he predestined us to be sons and daughters um, of God so that we would have redemption through his blood. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.